I'm pulling up my notes and the Roger Ebert review. Oh, that's what I was going to start with. That's what I was going to start with. The the first <laughs> the first line <laughs> of Roger Ebert's <laughs> The Last Airbender review. Let's hope it is. <laughs> He is the last of his kind. All that remains of a once powerful nation. Some think he is a myth. Some believe he is the chosen one. Bring balance to a world at war. And some will stop at nothing to destroy him. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Retrospective. We are continuing the Avatar Retrospective uh, with... Everyone knows what it is. You've seen the title. It's M. Night Shyamalan's adaptation of The Last Airbender. Wasn't that show great? My co-host, Matt Garingo. Oh, it totally was. Would be really hard to fuck up. We talked about, like, how we were going to handle this episode before, like, starting to record right now. And I'm already, like, willing to toss it all out the window just because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I went into this with an open mind. But first, why don't we talk a little bit about our history in anticipating the last Airbender film. So between 2008 to 2010, I believe it was greenlit in 2008 once the show was ended, or at least um, announced after the show was was going to end. But Matt, what do you remember about anticipating the last Airbender adaptation? I remember it being announced... And it was, and you know what? It wasn't even that because I, I think I mentioned on the uh, last episode where we did uh, the fucking uh, the final of the series that um, that final came out the same weekend as the Dark Knight. So I think like I kind of left at that was in my you know I, I was trying to be a cooler teenager for like a, a very brief period, <laughs> and I realized it was not working. Um, so I was like, I'm done with kids' bullshit, man. I'm hardcore now. I like Batman. <laughs> and so I did not really pay attention, but I was still a fan of M. Night Shyamalan. And he had just come off of The Happening, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Released which, in 2008 as well. Which released in 2008, which which is a trash fire of a film. <laughs> And I, I'm one of the very few defenders of Lady in the Water. And I was kind of like, it, the happening was that moment, though, where everyone was kind of like, I think we're done with this idiot. <laughs> I think that was the reaction to the happening. But I was following him being like, all right, M. Night's going to pull it out one of these days. He's going to, he's in a, he's in a funk, but his next movie will write the ship. And then it was like, he's going to do Avatar The Last Airbender. And... <laughs> I was like, probably up until release, I was like, that movie's not real. <laughs> There's no, why would anyone do that? <laughs> I think that was my basic reaction at the time. Not like just that I'm like, there shouldn't be a, a live action adaptation of Avatar. Just that, why would M. Night do it? <laughs> like, that was the baffling thing to me. It just did not seem in his wheelhouse at all and I was disbelieving that it was a real film (laughs) and honestly that seems to be the critical consensus in retrospect yeah I mean for the last decade there's kind of been the meme about like oh no they're like there's no Warren Bossing say but there is no Last Airbender in 3D film you know (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was looking forward to this quite a bit because I had not fallen off the Shyamalan train Uh, this was the kind of nail in the coffin but he just kind of went through like a reanimator situation for me and now i love him again but mm-hmm. enough of, we can kind of get into that later a little bit um there's enough to talk about with this movie we'll say for now but i was looking forward to this a lot because the teaser trailer i remember really won me over uh it's like ang training 
in an air temple as Fire Nation soldiers are like climbing the cliffside. And I remember a lot of very positive responses to that. Is that scene in the movie? No, it is not. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds fucking awesome. (laughs) No, it's really, it, it looks cool. It's a good teaser, and I think it's the same set though as the uh, the the Southern Air Temple. Okay. Um. Th- this is like one of the great disappointments, I think, on initial watch. <laughs> However, removed now over a decade as of this year from this film, I have to say, I'm sorry. It's it's really it's 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 as bad as it's kind of everyone says. Dog shit. It's. <laughs> I don't want to be mean because we'll get into it, but a lot of the cast and the crew response to it also Mm -hmm. is kind of just like everyone admitting that they didn't really believe in the project, including M. Night Shyamalan. They didn't believe in their capabilities of like making a movie of this scale because this is it's a $150 million budget. This this is like the definition of like a would-be blockbuster. But compared to something that I think we're both fans of, like Mortal Engines, like that's 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 a good one. At least I knew what the fuck was happening in Mortal yeah, well, Engines. Mortal <laughs> Engines is like it's competent, and I think if you're a fan of like YA fantasy, it's it, it's one of the better ones by yeah, like the, a lot. The, the frustrating thing about Mortal Engines is that it's one of those movies where it's like if you changed like two or three things it would be like a great movie like there's just a couple like beats they miss and it fucks up like the whole film and they're like really important beats this one's baffling because it's like every scene feels like that (laughs) where they're just missing whatever target they set up and it would be you know which is one thing but to know that there's also another version of this exact story out there that does it Better, it's like impossible not to compare the two because it just makes you go like it's you don't go like all right he changed it to fit like an original story it's just like he's telling the same story but he's making all these changes and a big problem with that is because um according to M. Night Shyamalan because most of his movies clocked in at about 90 to 100 minutes he really wanted to like structure the film in that same vein as, as his other films that's baffling yeah that's a um, baffling decision yeah so there's a lot of scenes that were cut from the scripting to the shooting stage that um we'll just never see the light of day because of all the effects work that need to go into them and all that shit right it's kind of like what happened with warcraft which Mm -hmm. i also think is a far better film although also flawed uh there's so there's a lot of monologues in this film obviously like every other scene explaining what happened in between the scenes and explaining a character's state of mind. And then other times when you see those characters later, they will also reiterate that state of mind. And I'm trying really hard not to be like me because this movie has been shit on constantly. Yeah. And I won't even say it's not deserved. It, it's, it's a, it's an awful film, but I also just like, I feel bad for it at this point. Yeah. It's, I think I mentioned, I might have mentioned it on the show, but I had I, my top 10 worst films of the decade list that I made um, recently, just a little while back, and uh, this movie made that list, And but the I said the key difference between this film and every other film on that list is that every other one feels like actively hateful and cynical. Whereas this one, you can kind of feel like it came from a good place that just, like, went horribly wrong somewhere. Again, not to be mean, but I think it went wrong, like, everywhere. Yeah, it, like, it was, like, day one. It, like, something went wrong. Like, it's one of those things where, like, the very idea of this film existing is a mistake. I have been saying for a little while now that, like, no, 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 you can do... The Last Airbender in live action, you know, you just have to make the story stand in its own. Like, like take Lord of the Rings for example, like one of the peak like fantasy film series like ever, and book series obviously. But like, I've always kind of yearned for like that next Lord of the Rings kind of fantasy, right? Yeah. And Game of Thrones kind of filled that void for a little bit, but we talked about that a couple times already. <laughs> that didn't really work out for everyone. But like, this film has the potential to do that. 
But even Lord of the Rings, as dense as it is as a film, you you never really lose like emotional track or character track of like the story. And this film, I it is it is the most bizarre thing. Like just we'll get into it, but I it, on a moment to moment basis, it's kind of hard to follow who's doing what. Like Appa's introduction is is just a cut to his tail. Yeah, no two scenes in this movie feel like they take place in the same sphere of reality. And I'll say this, the, I think a genuine positive for this, because of that very thing that you brought up, means that every once in a while I'm like, oh yeah, that's like a striking image, and then people start talking, and I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. there's no scene where anyone's talking that's good, but there's a couple moments where it's like, if the movie had been that, it would have been okay. Like, there's occasionally moments I go... If it had just been, like, that scene, it would have been solid. But it just, it never, it never figured out what it was trying to be. And it's interesting you bring up Lord of the Rings, because from what I remember, one of the original ideas was that they were going to film three movies back-to-back, and they were going to do the whole series all at once. Like, that was at least the initial pitch. And at some point, someone got cold feet. And was like, no, no, we can't, we can't do that. That would, I don't know. I, the writing must have been on the wall, like, immediately. <laughs> but at some point someone got nervous, and they started, are we going to do the one film, and then maybe do the sequels later? And the Game of Thrones comparison is also interesting, because I also think that's a show where the last season they had, like, a list of targets to hit with no understanding of how to hit them and that's a lot of what this movie feels like where we're repeating all the beats from season one they're not connected in any meaningful way yeah the um like even looking at something like Sokka and Katara's introduction or you know what no let's go back even further like like a minute prior to that in the film the 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 initial introduction you have the water, earth, fire, air replication from the initial introduction to the TV show. But it's, it's, there's no dialogue. It's just the images of the elements, and I'm fine with that. But then there's an opening text crawl like Star Wars, um, and, and then it just re- reiterates information, but it takes longer, and it's more complex. And I don't want to be one of those fans that are just like, well, they changed it from the show. Like, I, I don't care about that. It doesn't make sense why they do what they do just as a movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like, I mean, if you're going to do this movie, you kind of should, like, I'm, whatever, tell whatever story you want, but you kind of should just do the first few episodes of the series, like at least the first one, and just follow exactly what it did. Because that's the best way you're going to start this series, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like you have the blueprint right there, and it's so... I don't know, it was, like, baffling to be, like, the version they wrote for their opening crawl and their opening narration made it all so needlessly complicated. <laughs> like, right off the bat. with it, it, some, it simultaneously explains too much and too little. <laughs> and they really front-load the spirit world shit because they, I think they realized, like, that's a huge part of the climax and so it's like, we better explain that at the beginning, which you t- you totally don't need to do. You, you it, A better film, I mean, it's not like, it'd be like if the opening crawl to Star Wars it tried to explain what the Force was. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, like, honestly, that bizarreness just permeates, like, every frame of the film. Like, I, I think they kind of keep reiterating that, but, like... I forgot. <laughs> like, yeah. That's just how the movie plays out, like, moment to moment on every level. And and that 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 awkwardness really leans into, like, character introductions, too, <laughs> because, like, you, you open... I'm actually... I kind of like this. When you open with, like, the, the ball of water... Yeah, that rising shot. ...out of the ocean. That was kind of neat. That was neat. It was a great, I think a great way to be like, all right, you're on the water and then it floats up and then you see that someone is doing it. Like, I, I was like, oh, this actually has a lot of potential. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I also, I really liked that they did the, uh, the opening 
credits of, I mean, the opening of the show with no dialogue, where they just had the different benders. Um, I actually really like that shot. It looked kind of cheap, <laughs> but it, like that kind of added a weird charm to it, in my opinion. Um, but then you get into that crawl, and what's weird about that crawl too is that it explains that the Avatar is that keeps the balance of all four elements, right? Mm-hmm. And that, but then he vanished. But then it doesn't explain the war. <laughs> There's no mention of the war in the title crawl. <laughs> Yep. And it's like, the the fucking show, it's like everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Like, that's like the one thing everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I wow. Mean, that what? itself became like a meme online, you know? Yeah. And like, and, and like, in a, like, everyone just knows it. It's it's also just all you need for like the stakes of the show. Like, the world was, was okay, and then war broke out and it changed everything. Okay? Got it. Let's go. Like I said, it'd be like if we explained... The Force and the Death Star in the opening crawl, but didn't explain that there was a war and there was an empire and a rebellion. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I, I I was just, I was like caught off guard by the whole fucking thing. I, I put this thing on. I have not seen it because I never got to the part where I actually saw the movie. I did not see it in theaters because it just kind of like, it like was immediately like rejected by everyone. <laughs> It was just like it was like roundly considered a failure of a film, so I didn't bother seeing it. I saw it on TV, I think, like way later, and I I think I like barely paid attention. I mostly know this movie from it getting dunked on on Tumblr back to, back in the day. <laughs> that's probably the best way to learn about it. Yeah, I just that's <laughs> no I, no you know maybe no no because some of the those arguments are a little straw manny like it's again it's a bad movie in every sense of the word but not just because it doesn't follow what the show did yeah like it's, well, it's it just kind of sucks i think it's one thing where i think fans are kind of really pissed that they don't get the story right but it's like it's not even worth having that discussion <laughs> like it doesn't get being a movie right <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like you i can't I, I was watching it for, like, five minutes, and I immediately wanted to turn it off. <laughs> like, my body just, like, rejected it. Like, it was a fucking, like, illness or a virus trying to kill me. Like, yeah, I think I said, I had the same, this will be an odd comparison, because I don't believe the movie is of similar quality, but I had the same reaction to when I finally sat down to watch Batman v Superman. <laughs> Like, something about both these movies, like, my body was just like, don't watch this, this is bad for you. <laughs> like, get get it out, get it out. Like, and, like, it, like, broke my brain a little bit. Whereas Batman v Superman, I could walk away from and being like, alright, there was, there was chunks of it I really liked. This one I had, there was nothing. <laughs> yeah, again, because I really wanted to come in with an open mind, very positive. The, the movie would not allow me to be positive like in a way and again that's not to be mean i just mean like it's so cobbled together without like any life or artistry that there there really is just nothing here and i think it's that whiplash that because both movies gave me like super like mental whiplash where you're like whoa like you know where you're cutting from scene to scene like wait why are we here now and you're constantly doing that and BVS had a very similar thing where it'd be like, all right, here's Batman, here's Superman, here's Lex Luthor, here's some story with Lois Lane. Also, here's a bunch of shit that's setting up movies that are never going to happen. Also, here's some other shit about politics. Also, here's something about the news. Also, Batman's back. Also, and it's like, that. It like that's that movie over and over again for three hours. <laughs> and then here... It's only 90 minutes, but it's somehow worse. I think it's worse here. Uh, and again, I say this as a BVS fan, because I will completely admit to that movie being very convoluted. I think for all its flaws, BVS at least allows it, itself to breathe a little bit. The problem is that it is just so fucking much and so fucking long. Yeah. Here, it's so fucking much, and it feels so fucking long, but it's 90 minutes. Yeah. So it, and I guess My this God is the, Almighty. This is the part where I have to make uh, uh, admission, 
which is that I watched about 30 minutes of this movie, and I didn't stop the movie, but I muted my television and watched it with subtitles. Because <laughs> I just couldn't take everything that was flying. It was, like, too much. Like, I needed to be able to just, like, keep my eyes focused on what people were saying. <laughs> I don't know. It was, like, it was like overloading my brain in its awfulness. And it's, it's another weird thing where it's just, like, even M. Night movies that I don't like aren't even close to this bad. <laughs> I think there's only a handful of his movies that I don't like. And I don't hate this movie, but, like, I'm never going to watch it again. Like, it, it is an all-timer bad movie. That's... No one needs to reiterate that, but we, we all know. It's... We all know what this movie is now. <laughs> yeah, it's... I, I, I can't even... It's like, I think The Village is, like, my least favorite M. Night movie. There's, like, there's moments in The Village where it's like, all right, that's interesting. And you're like, all right, I kind of see what he was going for there. And here it's just like, I just don't even know, like, when he says he's a fan of the series, it's, like, suspect when you watch the movie. <laughs> you know, and I don't want, I don't, I really don't doubt him when he says that, but it's like, if you really loved it, like, why did you do this? <laughs> How is Cliff Curtis the Fire Lord? <laughs> Cliff Curtis is a great actor. He's a great actor. Um, why is he the Fire Lord? <laughs> you know what? I, I I bet he could do something. You could do something different with the Fire Lord here. But again, it's just literally, like, presented in the worst possible way. Like, there's a lot of very stark lighting in this mm-hmm. that, like, for every one scene, like, that we were highlighting, we're like, oh, yeah, the special effects were good. Or like, oh, that's an interesting, like, way to present that visually. It immediately hits you afterwards with, like, ten things that are significantly worse and presented in the worst possible way. And, like... You don't have to do what they did in the show with the Fire Lord, where like keeping him like hidden away, because uh, like that's not gonna be fun for an actor to play, you know? <laughs> like, oh yeah, you're gonna have a cameo in this one, and then a cameo in the next one, and then the third one you get the big showdown. Yeah, like that's that's I, I can live with that change, um, but his introduction is also like just just kind of like a stark like he is here now. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it reminds me a little bit, isn't uh. Is it John Malkovich who played the villain in Aragon? That's exactly it. Who like he, which is a character that doesn't show up until like the final book, I believe, and he's just kind of sitting on a throne the whole movie, being like, "Oh, this Aragon, we must destroy him." Remember when Aragon was like a big thing? Yeah, yeah. I only read the first two, and uh, I never checked out the rest. Am I missing out? Yeah, I read the first one, and then I, I saw that. I only I only read the first one. I'm the I'm the fucking talking dragons guy, <laughs> and I just like I I just like Aragon was just like not doing it for me. You mean Star Wars too? Yeah, I know. It's it, it, like, <laughs> you know like whatever. If you're gonna copy something, why not be like, all right, it's Star Wars with dragons. Fine. Yeah. I mean, hey, that that's a hell of a pitch. <laughs> yeah, it's a hell of a pitch, but it's also like yeah, dress it up a little bit more, especially if it's gonna be a movie. Made by dragons are connected to the four. I mean, maybe magic, magic. They're connected to magic. Yep, yep, magic. Ooh. (laughs) All right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the force and the elements in this film because I got questions. Why? (laughs) I got I got questions. More often than not, in this, when they're talking about the elements, they're constantly explaining how, like, oh, it's an extension of yourself. But then it's also like, oh, I need these physical components to to use it around me. The two never merge. This is just one problem with the film, obviously. But with my... I like a little construction with my fantasy, I guess. I like a little sense. (laughs) And uh, there's just none of that here. You know what every fantasy film needs to achieve in order to work? You don't have to understand a fucking thing that's happening. But you need to believe the people making it know what's happening. (laughs) Like that's the that's the real brilliance of Star Wars is that it throws you right in and it doesn't it only slows down when it needs to but you get the sense that George Lucas has thought up every single thing you're looking at in the movie which you know turns out isn't true but <laughs> it captures that feeling and that's what sucks you in and that's what I'm always looking for in fantasy adventure films where it's like they just kind of just throw you into this world and you have to kind of put the pieces together 
as it goes along. This movie, it feels like we're constantly stopping to try and explain what the four elements are, which shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah, like, we have them. Yeah. We have the, them in our world. Yeah, water, <laughs> fire, world. earth, and air all exist. <laughs> yeah, all it's things. not like the force. And it's like, yeah. Oh, one guy can move water, one guy can move earth, one guy can move fire, one guy can move air. What's the fucking big deal? Like, Oh, and the Avatar can do all of them. Yeah. <laughs> there you that's, go. That's it. That's all you need. Like, And for some reason, it's like they didn't trust it to explain itself. It, I, I just, I'm completely baffled by it. And... Do you think M... This feels like M. Night Shyamalan has a secret double life of editing fan wikis. I don't know about that. This is this feels like when you read a fan wiki and it's, like, going into way too much detail over shit that doesn't matter. You know, it's like... it's like I mean, it's kind of like Superman where it's like, oh, we introduced Superman, he has super strength, he can do all this shit, he can see through walls, and then, like, you come up with a story where it's like, all right, well, we have a story now where we need Superman not to be able to see through a wall... And they go, all right, he can't see through lead. He can see through everything except lead. And you're like, oh, okay. And it's like, oh, we need something that weakens him. And it's like, oh, the shit called kryptonite. Kryptonite weakens him. We'll introduce that halfway through. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. But this would be like if you explained kryptonite and that he can't see through lead, like, in the first ten minutes and then kept reiterating it. It's like you should be along for the ride. And it's like we're yeah, not no. And, and again, all. I... I think I my favorite scene is that opening with Katara lifting up the water because it's like that's such a good way of just like introducing us to the weirdness of this world and then like immediately smack dab hits you with like this awkward attempt at comedy I think with Jackson Rathbone as Sokka or uh, and it's I don't know if it's supposed to be actually funny because every moment of comedy in this film is just like Oh, yeah, they say a line, and then it's very serious. And then they give, like, a, a snide side comment about, like, like okay, like, when the firebending dude tries to arrest the earthbending kid, he's like, he was throwing rocks at us from behind a tree. It really hurt. And it's like, what, why did they cut it like that? <laughs> why did, you, you use that take? Was that the only one? Yeah. Why'd you even use it? It occasionally tries to recreate the comedy of the show. But then it's also yeah, like, like all right, it, but this is a hard no and gritty adaptation. And so this might this might be the moment I get canceled. I think the best actor in this movie, or the the person who gives the best performance in this movie, um, is Nicola Peltz as Katara. And we can get into the casting in a bit because everyone also knows like what a disaster this was. But she almost willingly or knowingly or otherwise captures the kind of awkward teenageness of of the characters in the series like it feels more genuine versus jackson rathbone being like an idiot like he's not a fun idiot he's just like an asshole yeah jackson rathbone comes across like he doesn't want to be embarrassed which is like Sokka's entire thing i know (laughs) wow i i can't I, i i really don't even know I probably I probably don't agree with you on the Katara thing. But... I'm not gonna fight for it. I just think like rewatching, especially it. since I I really enjoyed um, Asif Manvi, <laughs> so the Daily Show guy, um, as Admiral Zhao. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. He he gave it like this weird like he put like a weird touch on everything. I was like, you can tell he really enjoyed playing a villain. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I guess. Whereas every, whereas everyone else in this feels like they're going to kill themselves the moment the camera stops rolling. <laughs> oh, okay, you know what? His, everyone's performance is misguided. And if you want to understand why editing is part of, like, making a performance good, just watch this movie, and I think you'll learn a lot from it. Um, yeah. But Sean Tobe, as, as General Eero in this but i i actually like him in this he was solid they yeah. they give him fucking nothing i know com- like again to compare to the show like where iroh is just like every moment with with zuko is just like the most heartwarming or like heart-wrenching shit here it's just well, like 
nothing. There's nothing there. I have a theory, which is that from what I've read, people auditioned for this movie, um, and the, the, the scripts they used when they were auditioning played up the comedy a lot more, and I guess captured the comedy from the series a lot better. And at some point, someone came in and said, we can't have that in this movie. It feels like like at some point, someone decided this is a four-quadrant film. We need to... It needs to appeal to older teenagers, you know, mm-hmm. and adults, so we have to get rid of all the goofy shit. I'm willing to bet that was partly the Dark Knight influence. Because, like, there's this is still in that horrible horrible time period where every movie's trying to be the dark knight mm. and you get the sense that everyone's like they no longer want you know kid fun stuff they want movies where people talk about talk about chaos <laughs> and that people can feel like a big boy for dressing up like the joker and thankfully that went away Okay, if this uh, got a sequel, though, you know Azula would have had a monologue about, like, chaos or some shit. Oh, absolutely. I'm surprised they didn't find a way to work it into this film. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just, I feel like someone came in and was like, alright, we gotta take out all the levity. But so much of what defines these characters is built into their comedy. <laughs> and built in, like, you know, what about Aang waking up being like, you wanna go penguin sledding? <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's we shouldn't break down every scene of this movie just because I think this would be five hours. Just I know I, I wanted I originally wanted to do that and I, I was ten minutes in and I had I had two full pages of notes and I was like, This is a fool's errand, like we're not gonna be able to do this. But I do wanna s I think you everything you need to know about what's wrong with the movie is just smack dab in like the first fifteen minutes at the at the South Pole. Because, like, Aang's introduction is, is so weird. He's, you know, the boy in the iceberg scene, and then Katara takes Sokka's boomerang and starts trying to break him out. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense, because I understand in the show, she's like, we have to help the, the little boy stuck in there. But here, Sokka's like, it's probably a Fire Nation trap. And it's like, what? what <laughs> like, as the audience, it's just hard to, like, understand, because there's no mention of the war with the Fire Nation. Yeah, again, all that probably would have played better if maybe you said everything changed when the fire nation attacked in the mm-hmm. opening <laughs> and then because i i this is this is where my notes are predominantly focused on this scene because from here on out i was like yeah no this is not worth being optimistic for again so Katara's starting to hit the iceberg the iceberg breaks and like shoots up that light into the sky and then we cut to that fire nation ship that Zuko's on that audience that fans know and so the camera's pulling back we see the back of Zuko's head and a line that's clearly 80 yard with him saying yeah uncle look and then we cut back to Aang, Sokka and Katara and Aang is just chilling <laughs> he's just chilling and Katara is like we got to help him still and, and and Aang just is like kind of like winking half asleep half awake like you know kind of coming out of a coma basically and then Sokka's like what's this and it's just like Appa's tail there's no like full shot of Appa here so it's like I don't know what this is well the first full shot of Appa flying he he has like four kids dangling from his feet right yeah but it takes you a minute to realize that's what it is and I was like why did they give Appa freakish chicken feet and then i'm like oh those are children (laughs) (laughs) and i've seen the show (laughs) like i really i kind of wish i had seen this without seeing the show like in an alternate world just so i could like i want to know what that experience is (laughs) because it's just you're just it's mind uh, you know i i'm gonna just come back to the same five things where you just every decision raises more questions than answers. <laughs> like, I, you never got a sense of what anyone intended this to be. <laughs> Maybe it was like a money laundering scheme. I don't know. Because the fact that it was released in theaters like this is... I, I don't understand anything. 
That's mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to. I don't understand how the world works. <laughs> I don't understand how anything works anymore. Like I, part of me, not to get too cynical, part of me thinks that M Night after you know the village, Lady in the Water, and the happening all kind of like they 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 scar him forever, really, much like Zuko, and. <laughs> Like that, like whatever you think of those individual movies, that's kind of the moment where the public, like, he went from being the next Spielberg to now everyone's like, oh, he's he's a one trick pony, he's a hack. We we don't, no one cares about him anymore. And I bet you he was thinking, I need, I desperately need a hit if I want to keep making the type of movies I want to make. And he fell on maybe I'll adapt this TV show that my daughter really loves and I enjoy and it seems to have a very passionate fan base to the point where this movie did make money. <laughs> like, it, it it made enough money to the point where they were talking of doing sequels for, like, a long time despite its, like, negative reception. <laughs> yeah, um, and this was also, I think people have to remember the era where if a blockbuster didn't make a billion dollars that didn't mean it was dead in the water. This was the, yeah. the era of normal movies still coming out. Yeah, it wasn't like you had to hit that $500 million mark, which seemed to be like every movie, except for BVS, which for some reason had to hit like a billion and a half, or yeah. whatever the fuck they were wanting. <laughs> and then, I, you know, I just think maybe he was like, all right, I'll do this, this is like a slam dunk, it, it'll make money, it's a kid's movie, it's something I haven't done before. And... Maybe there's the scale of the production overwhelmed him. And then you feel like it fell into the hands of producers who maybe didn't understand the material. Which, from what I've read, there was a post that went around a few years ago from an Avatar wiki or like a forum or something that was allegedly from a crew member. And he suggested that the producers, that the only person who actually knew the series was M. Night. And that he was constantly clashing with the producers over the material. And so a lot of, like, the weird decisions were made to cater to producers who don't have a grasp on the series at all. And I guess there was a big problem with M. Night's poor grasp of special effects. Which is, like, kind of shocking because uh, I I think the special effects, again, are still the best part of the movie. Not across the board. There are moments where it's just like, oh, wow, that looks bad. Um, a lot of the green screen doesn't look great, but all the the bending element stuff, I actually think, again, for the most part, looks pretty good, even today. Um, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, so correct me if I pronounce it right, um, incorrectly. Um, there's moments where this kind of evokes, like, a wuxia film, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It, like, it, I, I, I really felt that... The one moment where I'm like, oh, this action scene kind of works is when he was escaping from uh, the Fire Nation ship where he's like jumping up the walls and shit and like dodging soldiers. And I'm like, that's like a moment where it feels like maybe that's what M. Night wanted this to be. (laughs) I'm glad you said that because I actually agree. Yeah, it's but it's like those moments are few and far between. No, no, totally. And, And there are moments there's one where... He, they tried to do, like, a one-take action scene when they're in, like, an Earth Nation village. Mm-hmm. Which is so awkward and clunky, I didn't even realize it was, like, a one-take action thing until it was over. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess that was one take. I don't really know what was happening. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the one with the scene where um, it's notorious for showing, like, six Earthbenders, like, in unison, trying yeah, to do they some do. badass shit, and they move, like, one rock, which is so weird... Because it's like, whatever, if that was, like, the rules of this version of the universe, I can roll with it. But we just saw them lifting up walls, like, quickly, tossing rocks fast and shit like that. Yeah. And then just cut, like, to, to pan over to that, it's like, whoa, it's it's jarring because it's, like, in conflict what we just saw in the same take five seconds before. <laughs> well, I... One thing, when you watch what shots are in this movie, it feels like M. Night wanted to put a big emphasis on the exact type of hand movements that would create certain types of bending, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, there's an overwhelming amount of detail given to, all right, if you bend your hand this way, it will bend the water in this specific way. (laughs) 
like, which I, I, from what I understand, the show had worked a lot of that out. Like, if you really pay attention to the show, there's, like, a real consistency with how the different benders move. But in animation, you can make that as fast as you want. <laughs> Whereas here, there's kind of, like, a, a, a playful dance element to it that doesn't match the speed of the story it's trying to tell. <laughs> And doesn't match the tone of like a harsh, gritty story. <laughs> like I, I think if it had ca- if it had been a closer to something like House of Flying Daggers, I think that's kind of the vibe you want to go for with a story like this. <laughs> Whereas here, it's this weird, like like I don't I don't even know. It's like trying to be like Gladiator or something. Like it's like a costume drama, but like with goofy fantasy elements. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And you know what? Sometimes the costumes look really good, and other times, again, in that really stark daylight that that's in most of this film, they they look unfortunately kind of cheap. Um, for the House of Flying Daggers reference, Zhang Yimou would have made an incredible Avatar movie. I, I actually really believe that. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> if he has any interest in the franchise whatsoever, I don't fucking know. But but that's like a tone. Like that movie has a tone that you just couldn't do in a mainstream movie at least like in america yeah well cause my big thing is when i saw uh uh parasite my big takeaway was is that it really kept with there's a south korean film sensibility where they have like wildly oscillating tones in their films <laughs> where they'll go from like slapstick comedy to like violent horror <laughs> In the span of sometimes minutes, like, there's that scene in Parasite where uh, she has to make the dinner real quick before the family gets home, but also has to stop the woman from running up the stairs. And there's, like, a comedy shot of her, like, casually walking over and kicking the woman back down the stairs. And it's, like, that's a laugh, you know? And then hard cut that immediately goes to watching that woman fall down the stairs and hit her head in a way that kills her. Bong Joon-ho's Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, well, all I'm saying is that, like, this show had a tone that its audience loved. I don't know if its Main Street audiences would reject it, but no producer is willing to let a four-quadrant movie have that kind of tone. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's, like, the breaking point of and this I, film. I, I want to be the type of person that's like, the producers are wrong. If they had just stuck to the tone of the franchise, it would have been a hit. And people would have liked it. But, like, remembering how many people walked out of, uh, fucking Rise, I mean, uh, Last Jedi complaining about the jokes gave me a different feeling. I have less, I have less trust in audiences now after, like, the fallout of that movie. I I guess, yeah. I mean, I put it still more on the producers. Like, there is obviously discussions we have had and still need to continue to have about how certain audience members reacted to that movie. Not that they didn't like it, just how they reacted to it, you know? Yeah. But I do also just, because the producers are the ones, like, actively in power, and they've given power to those people. That's the concern for... Oh, whoops, I just fucking hit my microphone. That's the concern for me. Definitely. Uh, And there's a connection, because guess who fucking produced this movie? Yep. The Kennedy Marshall Company. There it is. Although, although Frank Marshall's the only producer credited, so I, who, I don't know if Kathleen Kennedy had any hand in this. Yeah, I mean, she was probably, like, involved just because it's their company, but she wasn't calling shots on this one or anything. Well, she's the one who found M. Night, right? Did she? Oh, hang on. Let me, let me she, see. I don't know she about she that. Pro- she produced uh, The Sixth Sense with Frank Marshall, and I thought the story was that she basically found him. Oh, okay. I thought you meant for this movie specifically. Oh, no, no. I mean, okay, I'm I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Why, I thought, this, from what I remember, the story with M. Night was, like, they found him, they produced Sixth Sense, and they produced Signs, which are both, like, huge hits. They don't do Unbreakable. And then I think... When he he had that famous thing where he turned in the first draft of Lady in the Water and whatever studio that was was like, uh, we have some notes, and then he was like, "Fuck you, I'm taking this somewhere else," <laughs> and that yeah that turned in you know that became was a disaster. So this was kind of him coming back like hat in hand to Kennedy Marshall because this is like his first project with them, 
since signs and i they did not they do not work together ever again Mm. so i don't know it's just i'm i'm at a loss but you know frank marshall also produced jurassic world so what the fuck does that guy know (laughs) Uh yes but he also produced jurassic world fallen kingdom yeah so what the fuck does that guy (laughs) i want to dial back a little bit back to Shyamalan and the the Fire Nation. So the Fire Nation are predominantly Indian in this. And I think you actually... I, I know you were making a joke about M. Night Shyamalan relating to Zuko, basically, instead of being burned in the face, he's burned at the box office and critically. Yeah. But I actually think there's something to that. Even though, like, the film fundamentally fails to set up any sense of character, place, idea, or theme, <laughs> I think he does have the most interest in Zuko's story. Yeah. And maybe it's not because of the reasons you said, but there's something that does draw him to that character. And I, I think that's why he wanted to make the Fire Nation predominantly Indian in this film. What are you talking about? No one was happy with that. Really? I don't I don't yeah. remember that. I don't remember anyone in liking any of the casting decisions in this movie. No, the other casting decisions, I'm, I, yeah, but it's all like rightfully criticized. Well, it's like like you said, like Def Patel's Indian, but then his father is Cliff Curtis, who's fucking Maori. Like, it's there's no consistency. It 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 became like this really hard line of like the villains of the film. Are are brown skinned and the heroes are white skinned. Like, no, that's, that's what fucks it up. That's what fucks it no, up. It's, like, but it's bad. fucked up when when it's it's like the villains are just a assortment of different darker skins. It's like there's not even like it'd be one thing if there was some consistency there, but there isn't. <laughs> well, like the, the white casting for like uh for Aang and all the water tribe and stuff like like that royally fucks it up if if there had been more connective tissue of just like predominantly people of color just all over in every nation like garnering every element like i i don't think it would be that bad but because it is what you're saying like i i agree with you i just think he's interested in i think he found like a connection with with dev patel as prince zuko and and that story and so he wanted to give that like the spotlight for like you know his roots as a as an indian filmmaker but you're totally right everything else fucks it up so bad <laughs> and um i i want to give a shout out to noah ringer the kid who played ang um i i don't think he's had like a jake lloyd situation at least i hope not but um yeah. no one could have made that work he was like nine or some shit like that when he was cast in the film so he, he he's fine. I think the only thing that saved anyone from that sort of fallout was just that Avatar fans decided to just reject this film and ignore it. Whereas, like, uh, the, the, the classic Star Wars fan thing is we have to find the enemy and destroy them <laughs> whenever anything goes wrong with the franchise. God, that's... Oh, that's depressing. Yeah, hey, Star Wars fans are the worst. I don't like associating with them. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's not great. You remember the you remember the original casting choice for Zuko? Oh, it was some white guy, right? Yeah, Jesse McCartney. That's it. Yep. So maybe there's no not even a greater point to what I was bringing up about. Yeah. Him and Dev Patel, but I, intentional or otherwise, I think there was something that eventually almost flourished there. Nothing flourishes in this film, but I think there's something in that in that casting and that that choice of character. Oh, and you know what? Because we're not going to break it down every scene and stuff like that, I also want to say even though of course they butcher this, um the moment when Iroh and Zuko don't fight Zhao and just walk away, I actually thought was was kind of a an interesting like inversion of what we understood that character to be in the animated series. My brain was dead by that point. I, I did right. absorb... Once the Siege of the North started, my brain stopped absorbing any more of the movie. Like, it just... I don't know what happened after that. Well, it's it's still bad. It It's probably the, the lowest point of the series. How long was that fight? Um, I... 
I don't know. It <laughs> felt like see. it was 30 minutes of a 90-minute movie. It's on Netflix at the moment because I will never pay for this movie again. Let's see how long it oh, was. Yeah. yeah, like 30 minutes. The last like 30-minute chunk of that film. Okay. Well, there's 10 minutes of credits. So the last 20 minutes of the movie is just the battle. I mean, that's. I guess that's a little more understanding if this movie wasn't paced like a brick. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Correction. The movie is 103 minutes, so it still is the last half hour. Okay. And then there's like 13 minutes of credits. Or 10 yeah, minutes or whatever the fuck. But yeah, yeah that's... 10 minutes. What an odd way to pace the film. Yeah. And M. Night said it, like, it was his choice, but I'm, I'm also somewhat suspicious that maybe the studio realized they had a turkey on their hands and they're like fucking edit this shit down to 30 minutes we'll make all our money showing it as many times opening weekend as possible (laughs) and then because i because you know i i honestly think audiences would be more open to three-hour movies it's it's the executives that don't want three-hour movies because they can't show it as much uh i i actually agree with that like, like big time, you know? Yeah. Like, the reason Blade Runner 2049 didn't, like, make a billion dollars is because it's a sequel to Blade Runner. Not because it was two hours and 45 minutes or whatever, you know? Wasn't that like, wasn't that uh, Ridley Scott's complaint about the movie he produced? Yeah, but he's, you know, he's Ridley Scott. Yeah, yeah, like I said, yeah, he's Ridley fucking Scott. Guy, like, makes one good movie out of every five. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that one good one's so good. I'm a Ridley Scott truther. I, I don't I don't believe Ridley Scott makes the movies he makes. Um, I think Ridley Scott is a made-up person that the studio just is like, yeah, it's a Ridley Scott film, and then they just underpay some fucking executive to make the movie. And so there's out there right now, there are like five very talented executives <laughs> that made like Alien and... Well, no, there's only one talented executive. The other five are just the guns for hire. Yeah, I don't... I, whatever. Fuck everything. This movie was just like a nightmare to watch. I just... I, I couldn't... Nothing stuck with me. I'm glad it didn't stick with me because it'll be gone by the end of the week. I have surgery in five days. <laughs> there's... There's a... There's a... You know, a very slim but entirely plausible chance that the fucking doctor could slip and, like, cut my artery or something and i die on the table. And this, I had to watch this fucking movie in my last week of existence. And that's just a fucking nightmare thought. There's no reason to watch this ever. I agree. I try not to be that person, but there's, there's nothing here. Just listen to this episode again if you're curious. Yeah, it's just like there's I, I'm I'm I, I'm at a loss for what even to discuss. Yeah, I mean everyone knows the whitewashing bad. Um, you hit an angle on the the Fire Nation stuff that I guess I hadn't really thought of, so that's on me. But like, <laughs> it's it's all it's all bad. Uh, let me see what who who else is in this movie that we like? John Noble is the voice of the dragon spirit, mm-hmm. which is like. An amalgamation com- of ten characters. Yeah, which, what are you gonna do? Um, cash, but, cash those no, checks, No, here's the John. thing, here's the thing. Yeah, John Noble, good actor, my fan. Um, he's also in an episode of Legends of Tomorrow that's called Guest Starring John Noble. That's great. Yeah, and he plays John Noble on the set of Lord of the Rings. I really should watch... Uh, legends of tomorrow because it just sounds ridiculous (laughs) no the first season's a little rough it's finding its footing season two is like here's the justice society of america and also the reverse flash is going through time to to like steal an indiana jones MacGuffin. (laughs) my younger brother was really into those shows so here's here's something i guess that we could talk about more john noble movies no who voiced the princess well, played, played who, the princess. Who played the princess. Yeah, Seychelle Gabriel as Princess Yue. And then who did who did she voice? <laughs> She's not great in this movie, but she voices Asami Sato in The Legend of Korra. What the... How the fuck does that happen? <laughs> I think the, the showrunners, when they saw the show, they were like, okay, let's ignore this for the rest of our lives. 
but I think that actress has potential. Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine them sitting in theaters being like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> seeing that and be like, oh, all right. <laughs> like, well, like, because I, I think she's actually a pretty good actress and not, again, she just has nothing to work with here, so you can't even kind of gauge anything from her. But I guess clearly they saw something in her <laughs> to hire her, uh, either in this or something else. But she also kind of hasn't had a big career. So, I don't know. She should stick to voice acting because she's really good. Yeah, no, oh, she yeah. she's really good. Uh, I guess spoilers for Legend of Korra. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's you all know it's better than. She this. was on Steven Spielberg's Falling Skies. Oh, that was the Walking Dead but Aliens show, right? Oh God, that's that. You're right. That's what it was trying to be. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I I never put that connection together. Like, I never, like, I wasn't like, oh, they're trying to capture that audience, but with aliens. Yeah, no, I never <laughs> even saw the show. I just know that. <laughs> here's here's a question. Has Steven Spielberg ever produced a good TV show? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Happy Amblin. Um, yeah, I, 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 I... No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, look, well, I was right. I was gonna hop around a bit, but I I don't think so. No. Look, he did like the Animaniacs and shit. Like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Animaniacs is cool. He d- he did uh like that whole group. He did Sequest. Remember Sequest? No. No one remembers Sequest. Um, he he did Band of Brothers, but that's more like a mini series. He produced Lock and Key? What the fuck? He produced Under the Dome? Oh, oh, that hurts. That stings. Good lord. I'm going to take all these shows that last, like, one year. Fucking Falling Skies was, like, his biggest hit. Oh, Terra Nova. Everyone remember That's... Terra Nova? Yeah, that lasted a year, right? Yeah, but there's an episode where they basically just do a CSI riff, and the murder weapon is a dinosaur. That was kind of fun. That's that's all cool. I remember about the show. That's 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 what I got. Whatever happened to the Halo series he was supposed to do? <laughs> uh, it was pushed back to 2021, and now it's pushed back to 2022, I think, because of coronavirus. To, it was supposed to launch with the Xbox One. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But now it's on Showtime, which has nothing to do with Xbox. <laughs> so that went well. Wow. Just the people. Yeah, you know what? It's not shocking that The Last Airbender didn't work. It's shocking that movies like The Last Airbender don't come out more often. Is, is that kind of all we got then? Like, I mean... The only other thing we talk about is that they had to change the name. Oh, yeah. The, the joke I made for, like... Half the retrospective, and I forgot. <laughs> yeah, it made like it was six months after James Cameron's Avatar, and coincidentally, this is the film that like almost everyone cites as being the film that officially killed 3D. It had a good six month run because <laughs> it was like because we had in that in those six months we it wasn't just this we had Clash of the Titans, which was a nightmare. We had the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movie, which might be, which is somehow worse than this movie. Oh no, yeah, because that one, like like you said, this one's not a hateful experience. It's just like, yeah. wow, everyone go home, take five, rethink your careers for a little bit. Let's hit them strong tomorrow because this did not work. Alice in Wonderland is like, you know, I don't even have like a metaphor or an analogy. It's just the worst. Like it's the worst one of all time. Everyone involved in Alice in Wonderland should be in prison. <laughs> No, not Mia Wasikowski. What's, what's, uh, hey, there's collateral your... damage to everything. <laughs> Everyone. No, no, no. She's, she's like a legit good actress. And Anne Prison. Hathaway just needs Prison. to get better movies. Lock them up. Uh, no. <laughs> no, she wasn't was in a Stoker like two years after that. And that's like a great yeah. film. Yeah, Stoker rules. Guess what? Prison. <laughs> in Crimson Peak. Fuck it. Prison. Maps to the Stars. Prison. <laughs> yeah, take that, David Cronenberg. I don't know. The the devil all the time? 
Oh, is she in that? I guess. That's the oh, movie okay. everyone's been dunking on lately, right? Yeah, well, it's one of those film Twitter ones where like, half people are like, oh, this is just torture porn. The other half are like, this is some brilliant masterpiece. So it'll probably be fine. <laughs> it'll just be like wasn't dead it, in the middle. Wasn't it one of those movies that was shot like two years ago, though? I, I genuinely have no idea. I just know that Robert Pattinson and Tom Holland are in it, and I like them both, so I'll watch it eventually. Wasn't another big name in it? Probably, but... I thought there was a female lead that was in it that wasn't Mia prison whatever I thought, was, I thought it was someone else and i can't hang on let me see i could be confusing this with a completely uh different film, oh though. uh riley keo what was she in riverdale all right, so no, I was not. No, 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 no. She, she's it's no, no, no. She's like a one of those A twenty four indie darlings. She just also yeah, happens but, to be in an yeah, episode but, of Riverdale. Oh, Mad Max Fury Road. She's capable. Oh, cool. Yeah, but that wasn't the actress I was thinking of. Okay. So I, I must be thinking of a different movie then. Eliza Scanlon, Haley Bennett, Kristen Griffith. There's a character, because I'm just looking at the, the cast list for Devil All the Time now, because we're done with The Last Airbender. I'm thinking uh, of Chaos Walking, which is another Tom Holland film that's been pushed back, like, three years. I think it's it's running on five as of next year. Oh, which shit, is, you're right. Which is just beautiful. Um, but I'm looking terrible. at The Devil All the Time, and there's a character called The Narrator, which is always a good sign. That's the writer of the book. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, okay. I hope it's good. Um, yeah, Chaos Walking is the movie that we are talking about now. Not The Last Airbender anymore. Charlie Kaufman wrote that screenplay? Oh, he did? Yeah, it's, but like with five other people. It's, you know, it's one of those great signs where there's there's six credited writers. Oh, yeah, that's terrific. That's uh, That always works out well. Including the author of the book it's based on. No, but isn't there that, that weird WGA rule like where sometimes that just happens? Like Dan O'Bannon is credited on AVP. He did not do any work on AVP. He was dead by the time AVP came out, I think. Yeah, but Dan so, O'Bannon just needs credit on everything. No, yeah, I'd give him credit on like a feature film if I made one. <laughs> this guy's... Because yeah. <laughs> he ruled. He's like America's grumpy grandpa. It's based on the book The Knife of Never Letting Go. All right, so we clearly have nothing anymore. <laughs> How do you get chaos walking out of that? <laughs> no. What's happening in America? Uh, we never left the '80s. That's a very loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Um, last Airbender movie, pretty terrible. Roger Ebert gave it half a star. It's on one of his most hated lists. It's one of those movies where, like, yeah, I want to be kinder to it. But everyone who hates it is absolutely right. Yeah. It's not good, folks. He says the actor who plays Little Ang reminds him of Wallace Shawn. <laughs> he says, this is not a bad thing. <laughs> but doesn't the role require a little Andre and not a little Wally? <laughs> Man, Ebert was fucking pissed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I like how he even found time to complain about the casting, which I really appreciate. Yeah, you know, Ebert wasn't perfect, but he, he went to bat for um, people of color more, more often than not, I think. You know, like, there's that great time at Sundance where some fucking white dude was talking to, uh, or, or had a, a statement for Justin Lin, and he was like, how could you, like, show your people like this? Don't you want your people to be shown as, like, respectful and stuff? And Roger Ebert was like, he should be able to do whatever the fuck he wants because, yeah. you know, he's Asian and you're not. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he, he's going to determine how people are represented, not you. The best part of that clip is you can hear that other guy yelling in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't matter because Roger Ebert's setting him the fuck down. So that that's yeah. pretty great. This oh, whole yeah. this whole episode is just about reminding everyone that Roger Ebert was a good egg and that well, this Roger movie Ebert... is a bad egg was a solid, solid critic, and I'm very glad he's no longer around, considering the <laughs> state of the world, because his ass would be way out. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just know Roger Ebert, he would have said some fucking dumbass liberal shit. 
<laughs> On that note, at least we'll always have. Uh, fuck. Was, there's so many to dunk on. Uh, at least we'll always have Ava DuVernay. No. <laughs> another disappointment for another time, I guess. Matt, where can the people find you? I got nothing else to close this out on. Um, fuck, I don't even know these days. <laughs> keep keep watching the skies. And keep watching the Avatar, The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra retrospective, Legend of the Last retrospective. They don't watch a retrospective, they listen to it. Listen, listen this to is the... A, re- this is an audio medium. The listens are up on Spotify more than YouTube. Nobody watches us on YouTube for this. <laughs> and on that note, um, you can find me at The Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. Check out The Waffle Press on... Good I Lord, this that. is a short episode. <laughs> No, it's, Lord, it's, we really, it's like an hour and we, 12 minutes. Yeah, but you're going to edit it. And yeah. We we really couldn't find anything to talk about this fucking goddamn movie. Oh, because once you break down why one scene is wrong, it's just like, now apply that to literally every other scene. I guess it really just is that. Yeah, like, again, not to be aggressively mean towards it. That's just kind of what happened with this. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we're ever going to get, like, a tell-all book about, like, what about the bad decisions that led to everything. But, like, I, I think for now we just kind of don't need it. Like, it's all just out in the open I ju- I with just what don't went think wrong anyone... on the camera. Yeah, I just don't think anyone cares enough. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Here's the message I want to leave people with. Watch a movie like this and understand what a genuinely misguided bad film is. Now go back and watch something like the Star Wars prequels you could there there are like flaws in them. They might just not be for you, but I think more than not, those movies do come together with like an artistic intention. And I won't even say this one didn't have artistic intention behind it, but nothing comes together here. <laughs> just nothing. This makes Attack of the Clones look like fucking Godfather Part Two. Like, <laughs> it kind of does, yeah. It's just like Jesus. Like it's it's <laughs> such such a gap. Like, yeah, it, you will find you will have a newfound appreciation for some bad movies after seeing this. Yeah, it's just, it's just I didn't know we could get this low as a species, <laughs> which is a thing I've been saying a lot lately. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, thank you for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs>